here we are, ten months after the New Year's Day episode, Revolution of the Daleks. Doctor Who is back with a six-part miniseries with the umbrella title of Flux. It's also known as Series 13, and this particular episode, to kick it all off, is called The Halloween Apocalypse. That's a lot of words. I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. <laughs> Hello, Dave. Hello, how are you? I'm I'm exhausted already. But It's uh, hot take season again, Rob. It is, it is indeed. Here we are with our hot take format, which I guess some listeners, if they've come to us over the course of 2021, might never have heard us do before, uh, unless they went back into the archives, I guess. So, Dave, let's start with a hot take mainstay, our word of the week. My word of the week is rich. Rich. All right. My word of the week is forgivable. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> that could mean a few things. We'll find out at the end of the episode. It could indeed. There's there's a lot to get through in this episode, Dave, and maybe a discussion to have at the top before we start pulling out all the specific elements is I think it's fair to say we got a thin episode, mostly about Carvanista and his people, the Lupari, uh, alongside, I guess, the setups for the next five episodes. In some ways, I guess, leaving people to ask, what the flux was that? Oh, you've been working on that one, haven't you? Right? I've been waiting to use it all day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, let me let me say at the top, I, I do agree with that. I thought that it was a very enjoyable episode. I thought it rattled along. I think that you have to take it. And in fact, the only way you really can take it, I think, is as part one of a six-parter. Mm. It, it, it didn't feel anything like a standalone episode I, I have a pr- prediction about that which we can maybe come to in a moment did i leave there completely satisfied by a whole episode no but it wasn't trying did i leave wanting to know more yes okay well look let's start with some of the themes that are in there for me that the halloween theme is a big one because it's in the damn title of the thing or the subtitle if the whole thing's called flux the subtitle was at least the halloween apocalypse and it seemed to me a very tenuous link day if we got the funny scene with dan and the adult trick-or-treater but outside of that i think the next big reference to halloween was when swarm said trick or treat you know to the doctor and i thought how does he know this term? <laughs> it really took me out of the story because the jailer who ended up getting vaporized said he's been locked up since the dawn of time. So it's not like he's lived on earth for a few years or, or even would know what the current date is on earth, let alone some strange custom called Halloween on earth. Why does he say trick or treat doctor? Two points. Yes. Compared to some of the even more tenuous links we've had to Christmas and Christmas episodes. Fair. I, I thought this was fine, and it was at least scary, which even if that isn't... Well, it is. That is a, that is a Halloween thing. So I, I thought it linked in perfectly well, although, yes, it was a bit thin, but that's probably for the best. In prison since the dawn of time doesn't mean he started at the dawn of time. He could have been all over the place and taken back to the dawn of time. Ooh, that's interesting. So uh, I, uh, and, and some of his comments afterwards implied that to me. So watch that space, I think, because that, that was something that intrigued me. Yes, yes. And I mean, he's, he's gone uh, and, and got his sister back now as well. Uh, well, we, he calls her sister. Uh, I assume it's biological. Maybe it's just a term of affection. I don't know. But Can I, can I follow up my comment about the six parts, Rob? Yes, of course. Minor prediction here. Yeah. We're going to get part one here with a whole lot of very loosely, if not at all, connected 
scenes and concepts. Yeah. Parts two, three, four, five will probably go into in depth about each of those things we've seen, and then it'll all wrapped up together in part six. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, much like my notes tonight, which are sort of <laughs> all over the place as well. <laughs> uh, anything you want to discuss, or will I just rattle through my notes? Look, look, two one-line comments. I still love the opening titles and opening graphic titles for the Whitaker era. I think they're lovely. I think they're wonderful. It's really good. I have written here, Oh my God, dialogue! Exclamation mark. Chibnall's lack of a red pen is not as egregious as in some stories last season, but it was back, and there were a few scenes of people explaining stuff to each other while they stand around explaining stuff to each other. And he's got to learn to do exposition better. (sighs) I just need to get that out of the way. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. And I'll I'll get to some real exposition uh, stuff when (laughs) when we talk about Vinda. References. There were loads of references to the past. We had a Nitro 9 reference. We had uh, the outpost where Vinda works called Outpost Rose. We had a run for your life at one stage uh, given to Dan. The TARDIS hammer is back. And that got kind of used a bit weirdly too, in, insofar as they used it. It was like, oh, there's the TARDIS hammer. She's hitting the console. That's that's great. But then not long after, they're like, oh, use the hammer. And out it comes again. And I thought, no, you just use that joke once. <laughs> You don't use it twice. The old comedy rule, take a joke as far as you can, then pull it back one. (laughs) Exactly. Dave, uh, there's so many parts here. I've got notes on the Carvanista and the Lupari, Claire, the Flux itself, Sontarans, Weeping Angels, Vinda. This is kind of an indication of all the stuff that was going on in this episode. The tunnels being built below Liverpool, which I did some research on. They're quite historical. Where would you like to go next? Let's start with an important point, which is we were introduced to a new companion. Did you like Dan? Very much. Very much. But I thought I would. So I don't know if there's some unconscious bias coming into that. I like uh, John Bishop, the comedian, and I thought he'll do all right as Dan, and and he did. I liked him. Yeah, I I thought he did fine. I, I didn't think he was amazing. He wasn't one of those debuts where I was blown away going, wow, this is not what I expected. This is really good. He, he, he's good. He's charming. Occasionally, I thought it was laid on just a little bit thick that he's a really lovely guy, everybody, just in case you haven't got it. He's a generous, care for, caring, loving man who cares and loves and he's generous. <laughs> did, you, did you get that? <laughs> but you know what? I'll jump in. We were talking exposition a moment ago. This was one of the few times in the episode Chibnall actually adhered to show, don't tell. That and, is true. And he showed him working at the food bank. He showed that his best friend is disabled. He showed that he wouldn't take food from the food bank, even though he's on the bones of his ass and has got nothing on his own cupboards at home. It showed him taking people around the museum and, and being a bit of a laugh and a lighthearted guy. And he even had a line like, you know, what, what's life if you can't make people happy or something? And all of that was showing, not telling. And I was thinking, yes, yes, Chip, you're getting it. You're doing it, buddy. Oh, my God. But then the rest of the episode was heavy on exposition. <laughs> yeah, look, look, it, it was laid on a bit thick, but given there was so much, I probably can't blame it for that. It was a nice introduction. Not, not blown away, perfectly charming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's move on to Carvanista and the Lupari, because I thought this was a strange sort of alien. I uh, I looked at them and I started instantly thinking, you know, how far away do they live from Earth? You know, they're tied to Earth's population, but how far away are they coming from? 
And how do those ties work? You know, it seems very specific that they have specific humans assigned to them. What, what if one of the humans died while they're on the way to the planet? Does that Lupari just sort of stand around and not have to do anything when they arrive? Or do they get assigned to a newborn? Or what if some of the Lupari ships blew up on the way? Are their humans not going to be picked up when they come to do the rescuing? I know I'm nitpicking, but when you make a race like this that has certain rules, certain in-universe rules, you, you've got to assume at least some of the universe, will, uh, some of the audience, that is not some of the universe, will think about those rules. You know, not everyone just waves their hand and goes, oh yeah, and forgets about it a minute later i'll stop there I'm, I'm with i'm with i'm with you i was kind of lost when they said seven billion ships because seven billion is a lot yes it you is know, it's, it's, it's an uncomprehensibly big number i i understand that we later on had the whole thing about they're linked one-on-one to the human race and i'm like oh, okay i get the point of this but sorry seven billion is just too big Mm. And it all just seemed to be the payoff that, oh, it's it's man's best friend, zing, <laughs> you know. It was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that was probably the weaker part of the story. Yeah. And, you know, I also found his accent strange, not just because he talked like the Absorbaloff. Um, <laughs> and I do get that it helps the illusion at first that Dan thinks it's some guy in a dog suit at first. But on the whole, the, the northern accent on the alien was just distracting. And I know people say, well, that's weird, Rob, because, you know, the Doctor's had a northern accent as well, and he's alien. But, you know, I don't know. I I presume we'll get to see more of him too, because he was being chased for information on the Division. That's why the Doctor was chasing him in the first place, and we got absolutely nothing on that... uh on that count in the episode. So surely there's a bit more to come. Surely he's going to impart something about the division, even if just a point to the next division person the Doctor's going to find or something. Yeah, I did feel that there was a very large emphasis on everybody's from the North this episode, or, or even from Liverpool, which which is something that Chibnall has done. In the last two seasons, everything was Sheffield. It was linked back to Sheffield. Mm. People were from Sheffield. People sounded like they were from Sheffield. And, and now he's doing Liverpool, and everybody, including the aliens, sounds like they're from Liverpool. That's kind of a theme, I guess. It, it, it seemed a little odd, but I'll roll with it. Yeah. Uh, the... The Lupari were saving Earth from the Flux, which is the the, the title of this six-parter. I think the effect of the Flux was really well done. You know, the way the planets would sort of implode and then be destroyed and there'd be dust and all sorts of stuff. It, It looked quite good. But on the flip side of that coin, it's a bit of a cliche too, like, oh, this is the biggest, it's the baddest, it's the end of the universe. I mean, where do you go from that? And... You know, I also got to thinking, you know, what's behind it? How does this work? How did it start? We're going to need some answers over the course of this six parts for me to really appreciate it. I realise that's not the job of episode one, though, so it gets a pass for now. It looks visually good, but the rest of it, I don't know what's happening. I'm going to say I enjoyed it without the bat. I thought it was very cool. It was very creepy. I felt like it was a threat. At the end of the episode, I genuinely felt that the Doctor and the TARDIS crew were in danger. I thought the visuals were spectacular. And and yeah, we don't know what it is. We don't know how it works. We don't know what's coming next. And for me, that wasn't something I need to give a pass to. For me, that was something that says, great, I'm in for the next episode. Very fair. Tying in, I assume, to the flux are these tunnels that are being built under Liverpool. And based on a few comments I saw on Twitter, I went and did my own research. And these, I believe, are going to be the Williamson Tunnels. Now, have you heard of these in Liverpool, Dave? 
No, I've spent all of a day and a night in Liverpool. All I plan to spend in Liverpool, frankly. And um, no, I don't know about them, sorry. Well, Although, can I just say, Liverpool has cl- changed a lot since I was there 11 years ago. That that whole riverfront or, 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 or seafront, they've obviously done a lot of work there. That looks very different to the city I visited. They've sort of done a Cardiff, have they? It looks like they have done a Cardiff. You know, when I, when I was there... Manchester was doing a Cardiff and Cardiff had done a Cardiff um, and, and, and Liverpool has now clearly sort of done a Cardiff and um, sadly Glasgow hasn't and a lot of people are going to be very disappointed by that this week when they visit but anyway we're going down the wrong track about uh, saving the industrial north by Cardiffizing it but yes Liverpool is clearly new. Yes. Okay. So back to the Williamson tunnels. <laughs> I'm reading this from what I what I pulled offline. They're, they're thought to have been created these tunnels, which are still there to this day, uh, under the direction of a tobacco merchant, landowner, and philanthropist called Joseph Williamson between 1810 and 1840. And although popularly described as tunnels, the majority comprise brick or stone vaulting over excavations, which is what we saw in the episode. They were like stone brick yep. vault type things. The purpose of the work remains unclear to this day and remains a subject of heavy speculation. Suggestions include commercial quarrying, uh, a philanthropic desire to provide employment. That kind of came across in the episode where he was going, you know, get me the unemployed, get me ex-soldiers, get me this, get me that. And also Williamson's own eccentric interests. So this is something I think Chibnall has known about, like, oh, this is a bit of an unexplained thing that's under Liverpool. And I think he's going to tie it into the flux somehow. But how it ties in, I don't know. Yeah, it was really interesting because I saw that initial scene where they're building the tunnels and I was sort of going, okay, we've gone from here to there and now we're in Liverpool and this... Oh, I didn't expect to be this this early in Liverpool. I thought it was going to be contemporary. What are they doing? Oh, this is very interesting. And then we were thrown into another place and then contemporary Liverpool. And I have to admit, it is a sign of just how packed this episode was that I completely forgot about that plot until the very end when they were sort of doing that flash through all the different things we visited. Like, we went here, kids, we went here, kids, we went here. <laughs> and, and I went, that's right, we went there. Yeah, uh, yes, so we did. It was very, very packed. I thought that was the plot that, in my mind, got completely lost. I assume that's going to be the focus of one of the middle episodes. Yes. And it, it, it could be very intriguing. But, yes, so many bits to this, that just got utterly lost from my brain. Another random bit on this, the uh, the woman who shows up, Claire, who, who runs up to the doctor like, oh, doctor, you're here, hi. Uh, massive, I guess, River Song vibes here that she knows the doctor, but the doctor doesn't know her yet. Uh, and she's zapped off into the past by a weeping angels. That was one of, for my money, the best set of sequences in the episode. I thought that the way the actress underplayed it was really good. I I liked all that sort of subtle, I've taken the long way home, she knows the Doctor, something's going to happen. And then I thought, this is the best Angel's scene we've had since Blink, comfortably since Blink. That Angel was creepy, it was scary, and and you're doing that horror movie thing of, don't look away, don't, don't, turn around, Mm -hmm. oh no, what you did, ah! Yeah. yeah. That was great. I thought, I thought, I love that. I absolutely love that. You're, you're cribbing from my notes here, Dave, because I put oh, that good. too. The angels have become so overblown and so overused here, it's just stripped back to its basic thing. You'd look at it and it won't come near you. Or you looked away, it's crept up on you. It's that simple. That whole the long way around comment, of course, echoes Matt Smith's Doctor in the 50th. And for a moment I thought, no, no, this can't be like the next Doctor or something. No, no, it can't be that. 
I assume, or I think what it might mean is maybe she's been zapped around in time a bit by the Weeping Angel, so she's coming home the long way around because she's been to different points in time. Perhaps that's what that's about? Yes, I, th- I think it's something like that. I, I wonder if she even knew that she was going to be zapped by an angel. Has she in her youth met her older self that's lived the life you know, haven't been sent back by the, by the angel. Mm, yeah, it could be something like that. You know, her 80-year-old her self went and found six-year-old her mm. and said, by the way, you know, I don't know, that's just a theory, but I, I thought that was a fantastic sequence. Yeah, well, she certainly knew what an angel was and how to stop it getting her. Yes. And after, I think after she met the doctor, but before she got home, she was saying to herself, you've, you've got to get home, Claire, you've got to get home. So that. That's a thing that she knows to do. How does she know to do it? Being told by her past, previous, future self, whatever it might be, could be it. Yeah, yeah, I'm on board with that, Dave. Nice. Sontarans? Yeah, I don't have much to say on them this time. I mean, they're back, they're looking good, although I'm not quite sure the comedy has left. I just thought they're back, they look good, dot, dot, dot. Mm, more to come next episode. More to come next episode, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vinda... <laughs> Let's talk Vinda, because I think Chibnall's dream exposition sequence must be Vinda recording his report <laughs> and getting to say a bunch of stuff you probably wouldn't actually say if you'd already done thousands of them. I think he said he's up to entry, you know, 20,000 or something. So he wouldn't actually be saying this stuff in the report. But the audience needs to hear it, and Chibnall's like, oh my God, I just get to write it. Isn't that great? We had some sense of the character here, perhaps not being a Han Solo type or a bounty hunter type or whatever people were assuming him to be, he seems to have a pretty mundane job and life, you know, having done 20,000 reports sitting in this little outpost looking at the stars. It just goes to show that having a cool haircut and striking some poses with a pistol, you know, in some publicity photos isn't all there is to a character. I don't think people were expecting him to have been maybe this mundane. Look, we don't know where his character's going to go. There were a lot of really cool and exciting sequences in this episode, but Vinda left me absolutely stone cold. I didn't dislike him. I didn't like him. I barely noticed he was there, frankly. Mm. Doctor and Yaz, Dave. Uh, uh, get her get her title correct, Rob. It is mm. Super Yaz. <laughs> my my mistake. <laughs> The, the Doctor and Super Yaz, Dave, they seem to be carrying on from where they were last time. Yaz seems a bit more confident. She's getting used a lot more. Well, of course she is, because there aren't two other companions taking the limelight. Ah, uh, and they had sort of an argument. I expected them to maybe be a bit more chummy. This doesn't shock me. I think that there were signs of this in previous episodes. Um, I made the quip about Super Yaz, though, because... There does feel like there's been some over overcompensation on the part of the production team and, and Chibnall. Mm. They've gone from, who is Yaz? What does she do? What's her point of Yaz? To, Yaz can do everything now. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> uh, and we did start to see that at the end of last series, I think, when they realised, oh, she's the one continuing. Quick, make her sound really good. <laughs> really competent and really brave and she can fly the TARDIS and she knows about it. Yeah, I, I, I Maybe if we sort of got the feeling that there have been quite a number of years, uh, you know, maybe Yaz has been travelling with the Doctor for 10 years, Mm -hmm. I would sort of feel, okay, she's earned this. But to me, this is like, wow, someone flicked the switch to awesome. Yeah. (laughs) It didn't feel earned. 
Yeah. And look, I want to say that the character is not unlikable because of that. No. But it, but it is unearned. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I look at the character, I think, oh, that was a fun line. Oh, look, you're doing some good here. You know, I can like her on one level, but on the other level where it's unearned, I'm like, Ooh, yeah, okay. Finally, I made some notes, very brief notes, that uh, Sigan Akinola seems to be channeling Murray Gold all of a sudden. For two series, he's just done sort of like, you know, tone sort of stuff in the background, like, you know, noises. <laughs> Suddenly we had sort of like adventure themes going on. I was like, is Murray Gold back? No, no, it's, it's Murray Gold, but done good. <laughs> yes, but you know what I mean, right? It's yeah, different. yeah, I, I do. I, I do. It was wonderfully cinematic and orchestral in a way that it hasn't really been before. It was big in a way that it hasn't been before, but I still never felt it was the unearned grandeur and, and sort of over-the-topness of Murray Gold. I, I thought that for a bigger, exciting, action-packed episode, there was a proportionately bigger and exciting and action-packed score. Mm. It was lovely, and I embrace it, and I think that was a big tick for the episode. Uh, one very quick one from me. I wrote down here on my notes, Trek slash Star Wars vibes. I think that, and this is not a bad thing at all, Chibnall has definitely brought some of the aesthetics and the feel of bigger sci-fi movies into the Doctor Who world, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, agree with that. I, uh, well, I might save that thought till the end. Shall we go to the sports desk, Dave? I'm looking forward to being back. Let's go. Well, here we are at the sports desk, and it hasn't warped between seasons like the secondary <laughs> console room, Dave. That's, that's good to see. It's just a bit dusty. No, but the wood panelling still looks lovely, and our green jackets and grey wigs are uh, untouched. I'm, I'm surprised my jacket fits after the off-season. <laughs> Uh, folks, if you've not heard this before, in the Sports Desk segment, we do Player of the Week, Foul of the Week, and Play of the Week. Dave, what shall we start with? Look, I think starting with a player is probably a good way to go, because mine is a very positive one. Yes. Um, so shall I continue? Yes, please. Uh, look, I am giving my Player of the Week to Jodie Whittaker. I thought she brought a real A-game to this episode. I thought that she has gone from being vulnerable to being tough but worried and that's a very different thing i thought that she sold her emotions well i thought that she did bring the gravitas and that's an overword used in fandom i know i'm slapping myself for using it but she did bring the gravitas and the emotion to the screen uh this is look look it's too easy to say it's her best performance as the doctor but it's up there as one of them she was the lead of this episode and i think she absolutely deserved player of the week for me I could almost go with that, but I'm going to give it to the new boy on the block, John Bishop. He got some great lines, and, you know, we're kidding ourselves if, if eyes all around the world weren't focused on him looking at the new companion, and I don't think he disappointed. Yeah, look, that, that's fair. That's 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 perfectly fair. Um, foul of the week, Rob. Yes, you know, for an actual event in the episode, because there are different elements you can pull out for a foul of the week, but for an actual event, I think the real foul was Yaz detecting... What was it? Nine booby traps. After she glanced around for maybe about two seconds when Dan was locked up in the cage, she sort of ran over. 
One, two, I can see nine booby traps. And this is up there with the Capaldi Doctor when he did that Sherlock-esque segment. I forget which story it was where he described how he was calculating a ridiculous number of things at once. Wasn't someone trying to shoot him or something? And he's like calculating angles and where people are in the room and all this sort of stuff. And I, I thought, you know, I, I guess it's trying to show that Yaz has grown and got better at things but it felt ridiculously over the top for her just to walk in two seconds later. I see nine booby traps. It, it just, it, it just wasn't sold very well. Um, super, you know. super Yaz was using her new superpowers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're so brilliant at this, why are you so normal elsewhere in the episode? Yes, it, it was just a really odd moment. Meanwhile, though, for something that ran through the whole episode, I'm going to say it was Carvinista's accent. So a semi-snap from me, but first of all, let me just say I do agree with the point you're making about Yaz and, and that scene in particular. I feel bad saying it because we've spent two seasons going, I wish they'd give Yaz more, and now I feel like they've given her more and we're saying they've given her too much. No, mm. they've they've given her stuff she hasn't earned. That, that hopefully is a subtle distinction that our audience appreciates, whether you agree with us or not. Yeah, I gave it to Carvaniston, not so much for him, the character overall, although... Look, look, this is a character that some people are going to go, that is cool, that is wacky, that is out there, that is Adam Douglas Adams-esque, that's fantastic, great. Uh, and there are some probably a bit more like me who are like, it, it's, it's a kind of walking dog guy mm. with a strange northern accent. But my particular fail of the week is the scene where Carvinista arrives, and I swear that could have been out of an episode of Red Dwarf, and I could almost hear the audience laughing during that scene as he sort of bowls down the door then they have that back and forth and takes his hat off and he's a walking dog i i felt a gallery of audience laughing at that it just was completely wacky and 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 not the good kind of wacky for me so that scene was my foul of the week i hear you i hear you on fm to use a uh, a red dwarf quote <laughs> um did the accent play into that humor as well it played into it not working for me yes yeah yeah and finally, play of the week, Dave. Why don't you lead on this one? Well, it's interesting because the play of the week really stuck up on me. First of all, we had a terrible moment of Chibnall dialogue as two characters explain everything that they already know to each other for the benefit of the audience. Yes. Then we had the scene where Swarm was released, and that was such a genuinely creepy, graphically stupendous and yep. superb well-written, understated scene. And I just thought, I don't know who or what this is, but I want to know more. And I am now in for this thing's tale. And that for me was my play of the week. Yeah, where he sort of froze the first uh, of the jailers in place and then just made her explode. I thought, ooh, <laughs> that was something. Yeah, and I was expecting one or the other of the jailers to do something dumb and that would be the ah now you've done that i can escape but it's like no he's he's more powerful oh oh okay and that i just thought that was a wonderful sequence yeah yeah agree on that uh for me in an episode that goes all over the place i found it it hard to sort of latch on to one big concept there are yes. little scenes like the one you've mentioned that's a great one you know so you know could it be the cold open you know i i thought that the the effects there were quite good it was quite adventurous and fun although if when that bar broke in two and they started almost riding it like harry potter brooms 
they didn't quite go there, but I thought if you get on this like a Harry Potter broom and start riding it, <laughs> it's going to be a deal breaker for me. Yeah, I, I, I was sitting there going, I know it's Halloween, but don't be witches, don't be witches, please don't be witches. Precisely. Um, but, you know, I... I... I almost want to give it to when Dan's house disappears and someone's left sitting on the bog with no wall. <laughs> the doctor and yes, I'm going to go, oh, sorry. <laughs> There's someone sitting on the bog, Dave. I thought, that's really funny. And it's not forced. I quite like that. It was okay. <laughs> what What is your actual play of the week, Rob? Oh, Dave, I think I will go with the cold open to be honest because they didn't enough. they didn't ride them like uh, witches on brooms and stuff uh, and I thought it was quite an adventurous escape uh, a little cliche but but fun it, it was definitely a very strong opening few minutes to the story yeah moving on to score uh, I'll go first I feel good about this episode I I, I get that it's doing 172 different things and that can feel messy and discombobulating and people have commented as such online but I can see why that is. I hope people out there can see why that is. And I think it will now start to flesh stuff out over the next, you know, five episodes. The end of the universe is a bit cliche. I'll throw that in. As I said earlier, once you've done this, where do you go next? So maybe there's not a lot of imagination going on. Can, but... can I just say there as well, there was a real whiplash moment from this is the end of the universe to next week, here's what our characters are doing. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. But look, I, I'm, I'm at the end of my notes here on score. Um, I, as I say, I feel good. I'm sitting on a 7.5 out of 10 on this. There are a number of ways to rate this episode. And like all openers, whether it's of a film franchise or a saga or, or whatever, history will judge this episode by what the payoffs are. Mm. In, in six weeks' time, when we do our season summary... Uh, our slightly less hot take, I guess you could call it. We may be sitting there going, wow, what a wonderful setup episode one was to all these payoffs. Or we could be going, well, that just set it up to fail, didn't it? And mm. we don't know what that's going to be. But I have to, in a hot take, I have to judge it on how I felt at the end of that episode. And I'd been excited. I'd had some great sequences, some not so great sequences. But overall, I was sitting there going, I want to know more about most of these things. I want part two to start now. And if part one leaves you going, I wish part two was on now, then it's done its job. It was fun. It looked great. I think an eight out of 10 is very fair. Yeah, good, good call. And look, I could be up at eight, you know, when we do reevaluate. So words of the week. <laughs> yes. Uh, I went with Rich. Yes. And my feeling on that is that Everybody likes rich food. As you dive into it, you go, there's so much here. There's so much flavor. It's really mm. intense. I'm enjoying this. But there's always a little bit of you going, oh, is it just a little bit too much all at once? <laughs> yes. And so my word was rich because of that. Very good. My word of the week was forgivable. And that just relates to how all over the shop this episode was jamming in so many different characters, monsters, situations, locations, and so on. But it's forgivable because as we discussed earlier, it's it's all going to be teased out in the episodes ahead. The Sontarans will get their moment in the sun next week. And I presume we won't cut away every two minutes to go and see a, another monster. I don't think we'll be cutting away to the Weeping Angels next week, for example. Uh, they'll have their own episode. Yeah, and so I, on I, and so I, I reckon it's going to settle down for two or three episodes now, and then we'll we'll ramp back up as the season comes in. 
yeah so you know this this did go all over the place it was discombobulating but there's a reason so for that it's forgivable fair enough well that's our hot take it's hard to believe but we're here dave we've done it (laughs) we are we've got uh, only five more this won't be hard at all no this will be a sprint but look until next monday here in australia i've been rob i've been dave and we'll see you then goodbye bye You've been listening to The Doctor Show with Rob and Dave. Find us online by searching for The Doctor Show. We also love it when you write in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at the dwshow.net. <laughs>